All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do applaud you, Lord. You are worthy of all of our applaud and our life. You are worthy of everything that we have. And so, Lord, right now we present ourselves to you and we say, here we are, Lord, send us. Um, we, we see ourselves as um, holy living sacrifices, Lord, and we desire for you to take over our life and to lead us and guide us. You are our Lord and our God and our Savior, and we uh, gladly, unashamedly, Lord, give you our lives. And I pray for anybody here this morning that has never given their life to you, is not born again, their sins are not forgiven, uh, they don't know where they're going to end up uh, when they take their last breath here. I pray now, Lord, that they would really consider the things that are before them today, the things of eternal life, the things of the truth that sets them free. I pray, Lord, that you would convict their hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I pray this morning as we get into your word that your word would speak truth to us, Lord, that the veil um, over any of our eyes would be um, taken off, that we would see clearly, Lord, the things that belong to you and the things that are real and the things that are of truth, Lord. And so thank you for this congregation, this body, those here and listening online. I pray a blessing on them. And uh, now, Lord, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, before you sit down, can you say hello to someone, please? All right, everybody, come on in. Have a seat. Good to see everybody. If you have your Bibles this morning... Go ahead and take them out and turn to the book of, any guesses? Wrong. Anybody else? Wrong, wrong. Anybody else? Wrong, Isaiah. Leviticus, no. Somebody said Genesis back there and here. Yes. Good job. We got there, finally. So turn to the book of Genesis for our Christmas message this morning. Genesis 22. And uh, just hold your place there um, for a little bit. We uh, have a few announcements, and then we're going to show not-so-short video this morning. So we uh, are finishing up 2023, and... Uh, I'd like to encourage you, if you haven't already, and if you are already doing this, for this next year, to uh, get a hold of a one-year Bible, and uh, they have them online as well, and uh, read through the Bible in one year. Make that something you start this year and continue until you're face-to-face with Jesus. This is an amazing habit to get into. I know that um, we have a lot of distractions in life. And uh, one thing over the years that has kept me consistently reading the Bible, not for just study, so I have to make a point of I'm not just reading the Bible to do a Bible study or a message, but that I'm doing it devotionally. And the one-year Bible, for me, and you know, it's, it's not... Uh, the only way to do it, but it's very helpful. And what it does is, as the church is doing that, 
we're all on the same page. It keeps us all on the same page. And it's, it's very neat to have a congregation that's reading through the Bible um, through the year together. And you know that generally, you know, you've, you've, you're reading through Jeremiah and you know a lot of your brothers and sisters in the church are reading through Jeremiah and, you know, those particular scriptures that stick out to you. And so just a, a neat thing that um, we've done over the years here at the church and the one-year Bibles made it really easy. Um, they have uh, made it so you can do it online, so that you can go online and get a one-year Bible and have all the different translations. Um, and you could just uh, do it on your app or your phone, which not the best, but, you know, if that's what you do, it, as long as you're going through the Bible, I think that's the main thing. So, um, probably say something about that next week as well. And if you have any questions about that, um, please just email me at the church and we can discuss that a little more. So that's that. And then the other thing is, as we're about to finish this year, is um, if you're not on the church text list and you want to be, you consider this your home church, I would encourage you to do that as well. That will keep you up to date on prayer requests and things that are happening with services and things like that, maybe changes that happen on the fly. It's a good way just to keep in touch. But I think the best way, uh, or the best thing about it is that we're, we're able to pray for one another. Prayer requests can get sent out really quick and um, when something's going on. So I encourage you to be um, signed up for that. And the way to do that is just simply, you could email the church and um, let us know your name and the, your uh, number that you would like the information text out to you or by the offering box there at the door. You can, there's a little um, envelope above the offering box. You can just say uh, right on there that you'd like to sign up for the text list, write your name and number, and that's pretty much it. We'll get you on board there. Um, a week from today is Christmas Eve, and uh, our Christmas Eve service will not be in the eve. It'll be in the morn. So... <laughs> We're going to have Christmas Eve morn service, and that will be here at 10.30 in the sanctuary, same time, same place. What will be a little different is, is at the end of the service, so we'll have children's church, the kids will go to their class, and at the end, probably like last 20 to 15 minutes, we're going to have uh, some Christmas songs with candlelight, and they're going to bring the kids down to join us in that. So that will be going on if... Anybody would like to volunteer to make cider for everyone and hot chocolate, uh, let me know. On, I just thought of that, so <laughs> let, let me know, and we could get that rolling, too. So some of the things that just roll around in my head there. But um, So this is, this is a big one, important one. This coming Thursday is our corporate prayer for the church, so from 7 to 8. This Thursday, we're going to come here, and we're going to do battle in prayer. Uh, I mentioned before, that's the engine of the church, and that's what keeps the church running and going. So invite all of you out on Thursday night, 7 to 8, and we're going to pray. So the last thing is we have this video. We showed it at the Christmas party. Um, some of you may have not seen it, and um, some of you asked to see it again. So it's a year-end video of 2023 um, contributed by all of your lovely faces that you'll probably see in the video. 
And uh, as you watch this, to me, it's a reminder of God's faithfulness. So, amen. Amen. God is faithful, and when I see that, I'm just blown away at uh, this past year. It just seems like this past year has been 20 years packed into one. The Lord's done so much, and the beautiful thing is just the body of Christ, the imperfect body of Christ. And the Lord has um, given his, his Son for the body of Christ, and that's important to Him, and and uh, the body of Christ is what makes everything special. And so that's every one of you. Let's just praise God and that song. All we can do is say hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. So that's what we do. We just praise the Lord. And I love how, how the video finishes just with Jesus. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about, just Jesus. So. Well, if you're in Genesis chapter 22, what we're doing uh, today and what we did last week and we're going to do next week is we're looking at the Old Testament, just obviously just three. There are hundreds of them, but we're, we're looking at three particular promises of His coming. When Jesus came and as we think about Christmas, the birth of Christ, it wasn't invented when He was born. Jesus was promised to come throughout the whole Old Testament. Last week, we saw an unusual scripture that talked about His coming. And that was in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where it says that God will put enmity between the serpent and between the woman and between the serpent's seed and her seed. So we looked at how unusual of a promise that was that there would come one who would destroy the dominion of Satan, which in Genesis chapter 3, Satan had just deceived Eve to get dominion over the earth. And right after that, God goes and he sets out this plan or makes known this plan and what is involved in the plan to overcome Satan's rule and dominion over man and eventually over the world would be that there would be a, someone born of the seed of a woman. A seed of a woman means that there would be an immaculate conception, that there would be a virgin birth Later, Isaiah the prophet talked about that in Isaiah 7.14 where he said, The Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And so those when Jesus, right before Jesus was born, they would be aware of this prophecy of this unusual event that was going to happen and they would know that Isaiah said that that would be a sign of something that a virgin would have a child which is impossible on a human level and the reason God did that is because this would be a sign so we would know so that that's one Old Testament prophecy and promise that the Lord would come 
to earth as a human being. And he would come in such an unusual way that you couldn't mistake the fact that when Mary got pregnant and had that son, that that would be the Messiah. The only one. The one and only. And so we looked at that last week. Today we're going to look at another promise of his coming all the way back in the Old Testament. And this is a promise of a sacrifice of his son. A sacrifice of a son. Now that seems unusual too. So in the Old Testament, God is is telling us thousands of years before the event that there's going to come a woman and she's going to get pregnant without a man getting her pregnant. And that's going to be a sign to you. And the sign would be that there is going to be a Savior born, a Messiah. And not only that, then this Messiah that's going to come, he would be a son and he would be sacrificed. So that would be just so unusual. This is something that the disciples really had a a problem with when Jesus would tell them about his upcoming death, that they couldn't get their minds around that. Because it's so unusual for one, God to come into the world as a human being. And not only that, then this God that would come into the world as a human being would die as a sacrifice. That's so strange, so weird. No other religion has that understanding or that story. It's hard to comprehend the humility of the Lord that would lower himself to that point. And the book of Hebrews gives us some great insight into this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. So there's where the story gets even more strange. Because of Abraham's age and Sarah, his wife's age, past childbearing age, and yet he had a promise that he would be a father of many nations. And that promise went out to him, not in a way where he had adopt people, but in a way that through his genealogy, through his biological descendants, would eventually come the Messiah. This is a promise given to Abraham that all the nations in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, all the nations uh, will be blessed from you. And in order for that to happen, you have to have kids. The very first part of that promise would be, well, I got to have a son to have that happen. And it's interesting because Abraham had his name changed from Abram, which Abram means exalted father. 
And Abraham means father of a multitude. And yet, all Abraham had was a promise. He didn't have a son. He didn't have any potential to have a son. So, the best he and his wife Sarah could do is think, well, we have to do something to fix this. So Abraham, take your maidservant, our maidservant, Hagar, and you go and have a son or a child with her, and then we'll call that son, the offspring of Hagar, that will be the promised child. We get desperate at times when we have a promise or we have a word of God and it just seems impossible. And it was impossible. But God. God works often outside of the possibilities, outside of what we are able to contrive or bring about. And so although Abraham didn't have a son, he had a promise. Promise is better than a son. A promise is more sure than anything that we could have, and he had the promise. But imagine being called the father of a multitude, and from your descendants, all the nations will be blessed, and from you I'll make a great nation. And being an elderly man with an elderly wife without that child... And then thinking, this just seems like kind of a joke. It seems like kind of mean. But it says that he held on to that promise, Abraham. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 18, it goes on and it says, Of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. And here, this is important for the rest of the story. So here's what Abraham had he had a promise. And he had an empty basket. How do you reconcile something that God says with something that hasn't happened with what God says? And here's how you do it. It says in verse 19 of Hebrews 11, it says, He concluded, he concluded based on the promise and the lack of experiencing the fruit or the fruition of that promise, he concluded that God was able to raise him up. Even from the dead. That's Isaac, the promised child, who eventually came miraculously. And as we're going to see in our story, then God says, we'll go offer as a sacrifice. So the promised child comes, and then God says, we'll go offer the promised child a sacrifice. So how does that work? It says, so he concluded from that that God was able to raise him up from the dead. So he he understood that God's promises are true and God cannot lie. And maybe he just didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And imagine the headspace of Abraham And how confused he might have been. But what I gather from what Hebrews says and what we're going to look at today 
he had confidence in the promise of God so that he wasn't confused, but he is able to conclude that whatever God calls him to do and orders him to do, it's okay to do it because that's how God is going to bring to pass his promise, even though we don't understand how he's going to do it. Has God ever brought about a promise in your life that you couldn't see how that was going to be possible and it was different than the way that you thought it was going to happen? But the, this is the story of Christmas. It's the, the birth of a Savior in a way that seems so unusual and so surprising, but it is after the fact, the understanding of God has fulfilled His promises exactly as He said. And in our limited capacity, we just couldn't comprehend all the things that He was doing. So the moral of that story, and we're going to flesh this out, is unconditional obedience to the Lord will lead to the bringing about of the promises of the Lord. And when we don't understand what God is doing, and by the way, did you know that you and I, we don't get to pick our trials. We don't get to handpick what we want to go through. Those are sovereignly designed and orchestrated by God for us to go through for His sovereign purposes. And we know because of that, those things are good. So let's take a look at this very unusual story in Genesis chapter 22 in regards to the sacrifice of a son and how it is a picture of things to come in Jesus the Messiah. So Genesis 22 verse 1, it says, It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Now that's unusual because if you follow the journey of Abraham, it seems like he's gone through a lot of tests. One commentator that I read recorded that the test in Genesis chapter 22 is the seventh test that he goes through. He lists the tests as being called to leave his land and his family in Genesis 12. The second is to live among the Canaanites as an alien and a foreigner. The other test was the challenge when a famine hit to stay in Cana as that foreigner or alien or go to Egypt to flee the famine. The fourth test or trial that he records is to separate from his nephew Lot. The fifth was to send away Ishmael, that first child that wasn't a pro- the promised child, that wasn't the, prom- uh, the child that God gave them, but the child that was a product of their own works and their own fleshly desire to make the promise happen. And then the sixth recorded test was that they had to wait another 25 years after their failed attempt to bring about the promise on their own for the actual promise 
of the promised child Isaac. And so you follow the journey of Abraham. It's very fascinating because it's really similar to what a, a Christian goes through, and it's uh, testing. But all, all of those tests really prepared him for this test. Just like our tests right now prepare us for the next test. And the purpose of God testing us is to grow us and to often even show us where our, our faith is not genuine or there's something that we're trusting in that's not purely and solely the Lord. And so God will often put us in positions so that we really see where our faith is at. And, and as God goes through a process of sanctification, or a, another word for that is how God grows us in our faith, then we will fast, face tests and trials. Now, there's only one way spiritually to be successful in a, in a test. And that is to exercise our faith in the test. That's the only way. So just one way to get through a trial. And that's to trust the Lord implicitly and allow the process of the trial to take place. And our role in that is to trust that God is good and he's working something out in the trial and that it is better for us to have gone through the trial than not go through the trial. The key is not to run away from it, not to try to find some other way to make ourselves feel better in it, but to realize that God is sufficient. And if we don't know that God is sufficient then what we'll do is we'll have faith plus some other things. God doesn't want that, and that's why we go through testing. Because he just wants faith in him and him alone. And so now we get to this place with Abraham where he's at this, we can call it his final exam. This is, this is a big test. He didn't have this test in the beginning. He had this test at the end, and we, if you follow the journey of Abraham, you, you see him grow in his faith. You see him fail. Like when he lied about his wife and said it was his sister. Things like that, and you, you see these failings of his faith, but he learned from those failings. And he grew from those failings. And, and here we get to the point where this, this is the snapshot of a life lived fully for God, yet stumbled at times and has come to a place where faith is the master over the life of Abraham. And that would be needed. Do you know why? He is the father of faith. So he is the example of all faith. So it's important that we study and know what faith looks like. And here is the best example of that. 
So God tested Abraham. He did it after these things. He did it after the preparation, the growth, and the development. It goes on to say, He said to Abraham, Here I am. I like that because basically he's calling out to Abraham. It shows you how ready he is hearing the Lord. And I believe that's part of his growth in faith. Part of our growth in faith is that we're attentive to, dialed in to the same frequency as the Lord. If you're older, you may remember tuning your radio like that. And if it doesn't get just right, it's a little fuzzy. If you're younger, you may be having one bar <laughs> on your Wi-Fi, and it's going in and out. It's like that. But we see Abraham, as God calls him, he says, here I am. Isn't that amazing? You know what that tells us? His growth and development in faith has led him to the place where he realized the only thing that mattered was God's leading in his life. That he wasn't going to be one who would direct his own life, make his own decisions, call the shots. But he had actually gotten to a place in his life where he understood hearing what the Lord says would be what he would act upon. Now, if, if we understand and believe that, we, we too will spend most of our time seeking the Lord and hearing his voice. And that's important because in our day and age, there's a lot of voices. I would say there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of distractions. And you may have your dial tuned perfectly to the frequency of Jesus. And by the way, how do we do that? How do we have our frequency dialed to the Jesus station, hear the voice of Jesus? Well, the main thing is, first and foremost, that we're surrendered in our will to him. We say, Lord, I just want your will. I don't want to do my thing. I want to live for your thing. And so I want to know what your thing is. And so because of that, I'm spending my time praying. I'm spending my time in God's word. I'm spending my time in fellowship and, and praising God and worshiping God because that's how we hear the voice of God. And because the, the voice of God is so value, valued to the one who lives by faith, then that individual spends their time seeking the Lord. And as he's seeking the Lord and the Lord says something, he says, I'm ready. Here I am. I'm ready. He's responsive. Verse 2 says, Then he says, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, and says only son because this was the promised son. He had Ishmael as his other son, but he wasn't considered the son of promise. So 
this is why he says your only son Isaac. And it's, it's interesting because as you go along, you'll start to see parallels between Isaac and Jesus. And you see that right here. So take your only son. And, and mind you, again, this only son would be the son that God had given to him after he was unable physically, him and his wife, to have a son. And after his attempts to have a son were deemed incorrect because they weren't done in faith. And then he has the son, and this is the one in whom the, the promises are given. And then he says, now take your son, your only son, whom you love. Which, by the way, that's the first mention of love in the Bible. That's very insightful because we see a couple things here. Take your only son, whom you love. This shows that this is the, the most important thing on earth to Abraham. And this shows what true love really is. True love is sacrificial. True love is being obedient to the Lord first. The Bible tells us that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He has to be our first love and all other loves come underneath that. In fact, the, the best way to look at all our other loves is that the love that we have in our love with God, from God, spills down to all of our other relationships. And this, this first mention of love in the Bible, it, it tells us of the, the special love that there is in a family relationship. And so the Lord has ordained this particular love and this particular relationship to do something. It says to go to the land of Moriah and offer him there is a burnt offering on the mountains, or one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. So you'll notice there are very specific instructions there. When the Lord leads and guides, it's like that. And I believe a lot of that is because the Lord wants us to step by step be in sync with him. And sometimes we, we can live by faith in more of a general way, but then leave the specifics to ourselves. And what we see here is that God is also in the details. It is incorrect that the devil's in the details. It is correct that the Lord is in the details. And as we see this picture develop, of Jesus not only being born, but then going to the cross. This is what this is a picture of. We can see why it was important for Abraham to listen to what God said and do exactly what he said. He told him a, a specific place to go to, Mount Moriah. And that would be later a, a, a place that David would buy the threshing floor, you'd buy that. And then later that would be a place where the Solomon's temple would be built. And then 
on the same mountain range. So think of a ridge. Mount Moriah is like a mountain range ridge. On the peak of that ridge, there would be a place called Golgotha or the place of the skull. So he's describing to us the details of this event so that you and I know for sure this is picturing the place where Jesus would eventually go die on the cross for our sins. So he says to offer him up as a a burnt offering. So that would be particular as well. He didn't say any other offering. There's different types of offerings. He said the burnt offering. The burnt offering would be used where they would bring an animal. They would sacrifice the animal first. They would put the blood of the animal around the altar And then they would take the animal and burn the animal, wholly consuming the animal. The purpose of this was that an animal sacrifice would be needed to atone for sin. Another picture for us. The necessity of a sacrifice for sins. So he says, do this with your son. In verse 3, it says, Abraham arose early in the morning. Now that, that stuns me to get this news. And we're not given the emotions or the feelings of Abraham. We don't know that. But what we do know from the book of Hebrews 11 that we read, that's so helpful Because what oftentimes is we can look at this story and and, and say, well, Abraham just thought he was going to go kill his son and that was it. But that's not the story. The story that we get in the book of Hebrews is that he knew God would raise him from the dead. So that gives us a little more insight of why maybe he woke up early. Because he realized this was the promised child that God, through Isaac, was going to bless the whole earth with eventually being the uh, descendant of Jesus the Messiah. And God said, hey, go offer your son. And I would think, I don't know, this is just my, my, my thoughts, is, what do you mean offer my son? That's weird, but in Hebrews we know he... Uh, he, he concluded, which that word in, in Hebrews 11 means that he accounted. He, he was sort of looking at, okay, well, I have a promise, and I have something that doesn't seem like it fits the promise. So God must raise him from the dead then. So that's going to be even more awesome. So he, I believe from Hebrews, he's going into this thinking, wow, this is going to be amazing. I don't know why he wants me to do this, but I've learned to be obedient and I've heard God's voice. And so I'm going to watch him raise my son from the dead. Wow, this is going to be amazing. That's, I, I think that's a clearer picture of this. And so he wakes up early in the morning. Okay, let's get this going. This is going to be amazing. And then he saddles up his donkey He takes two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. So four people, two young men, 
Abraham and Isaac, they go as as a three-day journey, is about 50 miles from where they were. It says he split the wood for the offering, and he arose and he went to the place which God had told him. Notice that. God had told him where to go. He didn't have the luxury of just deciding himself where to go. Why? Because God was working a bunch of things out that he wouldn't have known about. He was doing things for our benefit. Think about that. So it's important that Abraham did what God said and don't say, well, you said that, but I think I want to go to this mountain instead. This one's closer. I know it's a three-day journey, but I can make it there in one, one day. Or maybe not even go to the mountain. Maybe I'll just do it right outside of my camp here. We can't do that. right? If you, do you believe God has a plan for your life? The Bible is very clear that God has already paved out the plan that he has for our life individually. So what is our job? To figure, figure that out? No. Our job is not to figure that out. Our job is to seek the Lord and in obedience follow where the Lord is leading us. And that will be the path of good works that he's prepared beforehand that he wants us to walk in. The problem that we often have is we don't have faith enough to trust that God has a plan for our life. So then we we do things on our own. And then we might sprinkle some sprinkles over what we're doing and say, well, the Lord blessed that. Well, actually, you just kind of did the Hagar and Abraham thing. You just did your own thing and sprinkled your own blessings and called it the Lord. That's not the Lord. The Lord is following what God says and doing what God orchestrates and ordains for our life. And so the specifics of what God is doing are very clear. So then in verse 4, it says, On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes, he saw the place afar off, and Abraham said to his young men, remember those two other young men that went with him that were not Abraham and Isaac, he said, hey, the lad and I will go yonder and get this, and worship. This is how Abraham is seeing this event. Why is this worship? is because worship is obeying the Lord. Worship is showing and demonstrating God's worth. That's what worship means. Giving God his worth. How do we give God his worth? By doing what he says. So how much worth does God have if we don't do what he says? We are deeming him unworthy. But we deem him worthy. We worship him when we obey him. And sometimes we think of worship as an ooey-gooey experience, like chocolate chip cookies right out of the oven, and we think, oh, that's what faith is like. No. Worship is very practical. The experience, the ooey-gooey cookie experience will come with the obedience, but not the other way around. 
It comes with the, so the experience comes with the obedience, not the other way around. Not the obedience comes when we experience. It's not like that. So, so God leads, God guides, and, and we follow in obedience. And oftentimes we do that where we don't understand everything that's going on. We do that often when we don't want to. We do that when it's hard. We do that because we're saying, you are worthy and it's not my will be done. It's your will be done. You're bigger than I am, God. You're infinite. I'm finite. So, yeah, I'll do whatever you say. Only makes sense. So they're going to worship. But notice what he says. Do you see what he says next? This, this little statement changes the whole understanding of the story. We, who? Abraham and Isaac, we will come back. Hey, guys, stay here. We're acting in obedience. We're going to go up this mountain, and we're going to go worship. You stay here. We'll come back. Hebrews 11 tells us that this dilemma was solved because he believed God would raise Abraham from the dead. You know what that means? This prefigures so many things, but it prefigures a resurrection as well. So in verse 6, we've got to hustle up here. So Abraham, he took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid... It on Isaac, his son. Does that sound familiar? Jesus carried his cross. And then he took the fire in his hand, and then he took a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father. He said, Here I am, son. He said, I, I see the fire and the wood, but I don't see a lamb. This seems a little odd. We need a lamb for the burnt offering, don't we? And look what Abraham says. Abraham, Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb. And there it is. There it is. In this account, we see this most amazing picture that God would provide. This means that the birth of Jesus, that this is a picture of and that was fulfilled thousands of years later, it meant that here's a promise of God. A promise was I will provide the lamb. But what he was saying is, your salvation and your redemption is not going to be dependent on what you do. I will provide it. I'll take care of it. It's not going to be. And this is where the story changes because if you think it was up to Abraham to make amends with God by sacrificing his son and literally uh, doing that and going through with that, you think, well, man, it's, it, then it really becomes up to us what we do to be right with God. But he says, I'm going to provide it. This is grace. This is grace in the Old Testament. 
I'm the one that's going to provide it. I'm the provider. You're the beneficiary. You're the one who gets all the blessings, but I'm going to be the one. And so when you read this story from the, from the onset, I guess, or from the outside without really getting into it, you start to think about what would that would be like to take your own child and take a knife and plunge a knife into your own child. And then we're told to put the brakes on that because God's saying, I'm going to do that with my own child. You're not going to have to do that. But this is the feeling of God the Father giving his only begotten son. And what would be big enough to motivate God the Father to do that for us is because of his love for us. So let me ask you this. How great is God's love for you and I? It's hard to comprehend. And God is saying is... is, Difficult as the story is to read, understand that's what actually happened with me. And so he says, I will provide for myself the burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. In verse 9, it says, they came to the place. Notice the specifics, the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there. And, and mind you, in Abraham's mind, he's, this is all his worship. Why? Because he's obeying God. Building the altar is worship. Going up the mountain is worship. Saddling the donkey is worship. Getting up early in the morning because God said to go to this place is worship. Going to the specific place, doing specifically what God told That's worship. So as he's building an altar, he puts the wood in the altar. He ties his son on the altar like they would do uh, with an animal for a burnt offering sacrifice. He lays him on the altar and upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. How important do you think it is to listen to the Lord? What if he wasn't listening to the Lord here? What if he was so messed up? I can't believe God's having me do this, and this is terrible, and God, and he's just, he's so loud, and, and he's mumbling, grumbling, and, and, and God's saying, stop, stop, and he didn't hear him. It's important to listen to the Lord. Thank God he listened to the Lord. And so he says, here I am. See the obedience? This is the good part of obedience. Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. This was the test of Abraham's heart. This was a test in his love. And would his love for God be supreme? This was a test to see if he had 
any other idols. Idols often are the things that are close to us or the most important things to us. They can never take the place of God. And if they do, that's what an idol is. And when that is happening, things are upside down in our life. And so God tested him in this area of the most important thing in his life. He surrendered this thing to the Lord, lived and walked in obedience to the Lord. And he says, I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son. Is there something we're withholding from God? And he says, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked. And what do you know? Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. Remember God provides? Do you think this was expected? This is where Uber Eats started. (laughs) DoorDash was invented right here. If you read the Bible, you'll come up with some good inventions. But God delivered to him the sacrifice right to where he was. This is our God. This is God's faithfulness. This is our provider. This is the one who provides. And so Abraham went, he took the ram, and he offered it up for a burnt offering. And here's the word. You might want to circle this. Instead. Instead of his son. Instead of his son. That's the gospel. That Jesus died instead of us. Jesus suffered instead of us. Jesus took the punishment for our sins instead of us. And Abraham called the place the Lord will provide, which is a name for God, Jehovah Jireh. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And so no wonder John the Baptist in John 1.29 said, Behold, the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he points at Jesus and he says, that's Him. He says, remember Genesis 22? Remember all those Old Testament sacrifices? Remember in the garden when sin entered in that an animal had to be slaughtered to make loincloths and cover their nakedness. All these sacrifices, the Passover lamb that was killed and blood applied to the doorpost so one wouldn't die and all these things that we've been doing all these years. Look, it's all over and it's done. There he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says this. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Revelation 21, 27, it says, but there shall be no, by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 17, 14, these will make war with the Lamb 
and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those who's, who are with Him are called the chosen and faithful. And so that is the promise, the second promise of His coming, the sacrifice of a Savior. This is the meaning of Christmas. This is the whole point of why we celebrate Christmas, and this is why we should be those who celebrate Christmas the most. Because we have a Savior that was foretold that would come, and He did exactly how God says, and our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so, let's celebrate Christmas. Let's be merry. Let's tell the cashier, Merry Christmas to you. Jesus is alive and he's the lamb who rose again from the dead and all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Merry Christmas. Good tidings to all. Yes, Lord, it is good news. You are amazing, God. You are bigger than all of our problems, all of our trouble, and you are worthy of all of our praise. And so we rejoice and this Christmas, we celebrate you this Christmas. We love you and praise you, and that wouldn't ever be enough. And so thank you that we have all eternity to do that, Lord, because we're going to need it. And so in this final time, these final minutes, Lord, we're going to praise you as if we're around the throne. We know that you dwell in the presence of us. We know you inhabit the praises of your people. But Lord, I just want to give this invitation and opportunity to anybody here or listening that if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you must do that now. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. The next minute is not guaranteed. And Jesus, he stands at the door and knocks. And he's asking, whoever will receive me as their Lord and Savior will not perish but have eternal life. What that means is that we must repent of our sins and turn to Jesus and surrender our life to him. And anybody who would do that, he'd make a new creation in Christ. All things would be passed away. All things will be made new. Your sins will be forgiven because of the blood of the lamb who will wash away your sins. The Bible tells us that it is by grace we are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man boast. It is fully by the grace of God, and we access that by putting our faith in Him. And that must be done by a volition of our will. And so if you're not saved, I beg you, we beg you, do that now. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Cry out to Him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinner. Make me a new creation in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's all stand and we're going to worship the Lord. If anybody would like prayer this morning about anything, we'll have our prayer team up front. And as we sing this last song, just come on up and they'll be excited and happy to pray with you. So God bless you and Merry Christmas.